Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, thank you so much for the honor of joining us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russin. I serve as the host And I'm here today with Pastor Frank Friedman, who's just about ready to make his final move into his new house. Not new, new, but new to him. And uh, I'm glad to see you're finally settling down, Frank. It's been a crazy couple of months. Yeah, moving is a crazy thing, as you know, especially when you live in a house for 30 years with four children. It is in a big house. It is amazing what you can accumulate that you really (laughs) don't need. (laughs) Yeah. Space is a blessing and space is a curse, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Okay, friends, if you've just joined us, you've caught Frank and me in the middle of our current series on Paul's epistle to the Colossians, where we highlight the sufficiency and preeminence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're talking our way through chapter one. We're at the end. And Frank, I want to pick up where we left off last time in verse 28. Let me read that once again from my new favorite version, the English Standard Version. It says, him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Boy, everyone is three times in there. For this mm. I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Now, we talked about this a little bit last time, Frank, but I want to begin with uh, reiterating a bit. Uh, Those first three words, him we proclaim. We talked about this, that we're not presenting a grace message, which some have branded, a grace doctrine, a grace teaching, the grace philosophy. It's a person who is grace. Uh, Titus 2 tells us that. So explain that just briefly. I know we talked about this last time, but give us a launching pad for the person of grace and what he represents. I've just been made aware over the last couple of years of how easily we can miss Jesus in the church. For years, the church taught a morality. For years, decades, hundreds of years, the church taught the Ten Commandments. We can get involved in the church in social reform, feeding the poor, social issues, and preaching a message of grace. It's not that there's anything wrong in any of those things, but that they are the byproduct of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I taught the book of Galatians, I was stunned by the fact that, you know, the Galatians were returning to the law, returning to something they could achieve and perform. And yet when Paul wrote to them in chapter one, he didn't say, I marvel that you're leaving grace. He said, I marvel that you're so quickly leaving 
him. And ever since I saw that, that has been something that is just in the forefront of my mind all the time. Social work, helping the poor, uh, ministering to the sick, that's a byproduct of knowing him. Walking by faith in a way, Romans 8, that fulfills the righteousness of the law. It's a byproduct of walking with him. It's the fruit of his life, not something we pursue independently of him. All those kind of things, it's him. The Christian life is Jesus Christ in us, experienced by us, expressed through us as we walk in faith. So it's just been really impressed on me, John, that we dare not lose sight of him as we seek to live in this fallen world and, and change this world. We change it by bringing him to people, you know, so they can have the same relationship with him that we do. And we've got to be careful that he doesn't get lost in the church and in the good work of the church, which is really what happened to those seven churches in the book of Revelation. The consistent message was, uh, you lost your first love. You left me. You did great things. You taught great doctrine, but you left me out of the equation. And really without him, we really don't have Christianity at all. We have something else. Yes, we have churchianity, not Christianity without Christ. Well, it's interesting then, uh, it seems like you must have already talked to Apostle Paul to get your story straight, because Paul echoes that very same <laughs> thought when he says in verse 28, him we proclaim, and then he says this, Frank, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. I'm fascinated by that phrase. This is not a warning like, up, oh, better watch out, God's going to get you. No, it, it means to, to admonish, to correct, to prompt to encourage, to motivate. This is the picture that Paul is trying to communicate. And notice that he says, we do it with all wisdom. Well, the first thing that pops into my mind is uh, any number of places where we see people yelling and screaming on street corners about Jesus. And I sometimes wonder, is the message really being delivered? Because when I see this, I see this wisdom component. It's almost like only the Holy Spirit knows exactly what a person needs to hear. And if God's placed us in a situation to speak, we are there specifically to be his voice to that need at that moment. And so this more to me seems like a strategic placement of wisdom in us so that we know exactly how to teach and admonish people about the truth. Because you and I both know, because we've made this mistake a million times, that we can beat people up with grace. We can become, as we've said so many times, grace Pharisees. That's not much wisdom, my friend. We've talked about that. But this is a, a real balance here that Paul is willing to dive into almost any circumstance, but he needs wisdom fueled by the Holy Spirit to really fulfill his ministry. Wow. What do you think about that? Well, John, I think that's exactly coinciding with the previous phrase. In Ephesians 1, one of the 
byproducts, if you will, one of the uh, part of the package of what we got in Christ from Ephesians. Ephesians has been called the treasure chest of the New Testament, where God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he goes on to talk about, we've got redemption. We were adopted into the family. We were uh, forgiven of all our sins. We got the Holy Spirit. One of the parts of that package in verses eight through 10 is wisdom in understanding into the plan of God. And that corresponds to what the writer of Revelation said when there was a scroll that had been sealed up. It was sealed up ever since the fall of Adam. And so mankind lost the wisdom and understanding into the plan of God. And John wept in that passage because there was no one worthy to open the scroll. But of course, the one who was worthy, Jesus Christ, has opened it. And now we, the church, have understanding once again into the plan of God for the ages. It tells us why we were created to have relationship with God, what we lost in Adam, what we can have restored in Christ. We understand now the meaning of life. And we now have that in us to be able to give to others and lead them into an understanding in what the meaning of life is all about. And that, of course, is all wrapped up in the person of Christ. And so we stand ready to give people what they need most and have their lives transformed by him. It's huge. It's it's beyond comprehension. We are now the living letters of Christ, the ambassadors of another kingdom to bring to others the life they so desperately need. Yeah. Huge. Frank, this, this thinking is so different from how many of us were trained, taught early on in the four spiritual laws and evangelism explosion, asking all those questions sort of blanket approach to the gospel message, one size fits all. But when I really see how Paul is diving into the deep end of the pool with these Colossians and speaking precisely to their need, I get a very different picture of how uh, spreading the gospel or preaching the gospel really looks. I, I think about it as a uh, if you've ever watched television and you see the way we can use these drone missiles to pinpoint a strategic target, you know, a meter across, we can hit that target. It's almost like Father's truth spoken through us can reach specifically the target in the life of that person who needs to hear it. It doesn't put a lot of burden on us because Father is the one who speaks through us. Our challenge is to cultivate that intimacy with our Savior so that when the time is ready, uh, we can trust him to do what he wants to do through us. Because remember, mm. if we're in a place and we see a need and we're the only one there, then guess what? Father may have placed us there specifically to be the person on the spot to address that need or him to address that need through us. So we shouldn't be afraid of, of circumstances that seem overwhelming. Because frankly, to me, most circumstances are overwhelming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but Christ in me, uh, if I submit myself and I'm willing to allow him 
to live his life through me, who knows what he might do. Yeah, John, you know, this is so profound what you just said, because, you know, as part of the church, we have to look at honestly at her. And I think one of the things the church has done is we've tried to be behavior modificationists. Let's change what people are doing so they don't get in the problem that they're in. But that's really treating a symptom. Uh, all behavior has a motive. And what is that motive? And most times, as I get beneath the surface with people, uh, it's they're doing what they're doing to try to find life. Uh, they're doing what they're doing to try to find love. They're doing what they're doing to try to find some meaning and significance, some purpose for their life, or they're trying to anesthetize themselves because they're unable to find meaning and purpose for their life, or they're dealing with the consequences of choices that they made to try and find meaning and purpose for their lives. So we get to go way beneath the surface to the root core. And, you know, the root core of those persons is they're asking, why am I here? Is there anybody out there who will love me? Anybody out there who will care for me? Anyone out there who will accept me? Not for what I do, but just for who I am. I'm reminded, John, of this one time I was on a college campus and I was going to teach on the love of God to these kids. And I built up a rapport with them, been there many times. And so I really meant business. And so in my introduction that night, four or 500 collegians, I said, look, I'm going to ask you a question. And I don't want your Christian jargon. I don't want your Christian cliche. I, I don't want your pat answers here. I want you to think. In fact, if you give me your cliche and pet answers, I'm going to publicly embarrass you. So are we on the <laughs> same page? That sounds and like the young Frank Friedman. <laughs> that was. But then I asked them this, what do you want more than anything else in life? And I'll never forget it. There was a little co-ed, her hand shot up, and she said, I want to be loved. And then another little co-ed, and she said, I want to be accepted. And then a young man shot up, I want to be significant. I want my life to count. And then the room got quiet. And I waited for a long time, John, maybe a minute, minute and a half, which is a long time in a crowd of people for there to be silence because it's awkward. And then I spoke. I broke the silence and I told him, thank you. They'd just given me an illustration I was going to use for the rest of my days of ministry. See, there was younger and older pretty and plain, rich and poor, male, female. But when you stripped off all the facade, all those kids, myself included, we're all the same. We all wanted to be loved. We all wanted our lives to count. And we all wanted to be accepted just because. And John, that's what the gospel does. It doesn't go after all the different behaviors and all the different consequences it gets beneath the service to the root core and the questions that all of us are asking. Is there anybody that will love me and care for me and accept me just the way I am 
so I can find significance and purpose for my life. And all of that is answered in the person of Jesus Christ, God himself, who came to establish a relationship with us, a creator who wants not only to restore his creation to himself, but have such an intimate relationship with them that he would actually take up residence within them, his creation. Now that is life transform. Oh my, yes. You know, Frank, the relationship that you describe is something that our father has wanted ever since Genesis chapter three, the garden mm. of Eden. Listen to you talking and, and hearing uh, the heart cry of those students. My mind quickly ran back to that passage in Isaiah chapter one, which I, I love this passage because it so captures uh, how condescending, how patient, how loving our father is. He says this, he says, come on now, let's reason together. Let's sit down and just have a good chat about this. Uh, it reminds me of the ending of the old Beverly Hillbillies programs, where he says, you know, sit down, set a spell, <laughs> take your shoes off, <laughs> you know, get comfortable. And I love the fact that our father wants to dialogue with us. He's not afraid to debate. He's not afraid to clash swords. He's not afraid to wrestle with us. He invites us in to unpack every single one of our issues, our problems, our fears, our struggles. He wants us to show him our confusion and, and invite him into our mess and say, Father, what's right in my life and what's not? It's like Psalm 139, search me, Father, know me, show me what I'm getting wrong. Frank, this is the relationship that our Father God has wanted from the very beginning with us. And it's available to everyone now in Jesus Christ. But we struggle, even those who know the truth struggle with just how overwhelmingly gracious and loving and accepting and forgiving he is. It's stunning. I don't even know what to say. It's just so absolutely stunning that our Father loves us this much. Well, John, you know, ever since the garden, when Satan first called into question the character of God, indeed, has God said, <laughs> you can almost hear that little stinker. God isn't all he's cut up to be. He's holding out on you. And then when man bought the lie, uh, man entered into all kinds of distortion and you look at uh, medieval art and how they portray God as angry, red-eyed, point the finger at you, God. And then you have all these Bible teachers, you know, who uh, paint a picture of God is angry with you and, and God's going to get you. And, and my goodness, even Santa Claus, just think about it, John. Have you been naughty or nice? Uh, if you've been naughty, he's not going to gift you. And it's very easy for us to make that leap from Santa Claus to God and say he's the same way. And so that's why the New Testament is so important, because Jesus 
is the express image of the Father. You know, it's not that God is angry and Jesus is good, and so Jesus intercedes before the angry God to keep him from beating the daylights out of us. No, the compassionate, loving shepherd Jesus is telling us what the Father is like. And it's just mind-boggling to think that God runs after rebels. He doesn't squash them. He wants them to come home. You know, John, one of the passages that's used a lot in the church is Psalm 42, where we even made a song about it. As the deer pants for the water, so my heart pants for you. A deer in the desert, been chased by a a lion or a wolf, and it's panting. If it doesn't have water, it's going to die. But here's the thought I would ask every one of our listeners. Have you ever considered that God pants for us that same way? Uh, As the deer pants for the water, so our God pants for us. He wants us to come home. He wants to have a relationship with us. If we could only understand that, we would run to him instead of from him. Yeah. And the real purpose of suffering, as we've been talking about in this chapter, is to enable just that very thing so that we would run to him. Paul wraps up this chapter, and we're going to finish this chapter today, Frank. He says this with regard to the ultimate purpose of his suffering, the teaching, the warning, the struggle, the admonition. It says this, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, I thought about this, Frank. Father spoke and the entire universe came into existence. But he didn't speak and and present everyone mature in Christ. Our redemption and our restoration, our maturity is so much more involved, so much more detailed. And it takes us. I, I think of two verses. Uh, The first is 2 Peter 3. God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Okay, that's God's intent. But his practice comes out in what Paul's been talking about. Paul's desire goes a step further. He wants to present everyone mature. This is why Paul does what he does. He takes the time to invest himself in these believers, so that he knows exactly how to speak God's wisdom to their specific need. And Frank, as I think about it, uh, we can't do this for everyone. Paul couldn't do this for everyone. Uh, He did it to the people whom Father brought along in his path. And I think the same thing is for us, that we can't do it for everyone. But Father, where are the people whom you have chosen that we can minister life and bring drone strikes of truth to those who need it most. You know, it's a, it's a question for us to ask ourselves, isn't it? Yes, John, every person that cross our path is that person potentially. But as you said earlier, we can't sit here and beat them over the head with the truth. I think that this is really birthed and uh, processed, uh, lived out in relationship. And I think Jesus is our example. 
if you look at the gospels and we watch him, he proclaimed truth to the crowds. Then he had a, a, a more inner circle of the 500. Within that, he had the 70. And then within the 70, he had the 12 apostles. But even within the 12, he had the three. And I think that's the pattern for our lives. Uh, we can broadcast truth to as many people as we can. We might have a more intimate bridge with the 500 and still more intimate with the 70 and ultimately with those 12 and but supremely between the three. Uh, I think this maturity is going to be birthed, born out, hammered out in relationship. And I think we got to take one, take the pressure off ourselves that we can't reach everybody, but then also have our eyes open to the ones who have the heart to go deeper that we can then pour our lives into just the way Jesus did. Paul's goal as our goal is certainly to see people going to heaven. But beyond that, we want to see heaven really lived out inside of people. Jesus being placed in them, heaven inside of them, that they too then can experience and express and multiply into those that they likewise will have their opportunity to broadcast on a grand scale, but birth out more deeply on a more intimate way. You have, and I have over the years, John, had groups of people that we meet with. I'm doing that with a group of men right now. But I told them when we began to meet, one thing, I'm not here just to pour into you. I want you now as well to go get a group of guys and pour into them and multiply. And especially one of those men in this group has taken that very seriously. He now has three different groups he meets with. One that he travels to an hour and a half every Wednesday at 5.30 in the morning uh, to meet with that group of guys and multiply the dynamic of what it means to have an intimate relationship with the God who lives inside of us. It's huge. It's huge. It certainly is. Well, Frank, we're going to wrap this up by unpacking one last point in this chapter. You know, we've talked about Paul's suffering, his struggle, uh, his teaching, his warning, his admonition, and his rejoicing. You know, we mentioned that a few episodes ago, but we haven't come back to that. I want to come back to that rejoicing, and I want to ask this question. How was Paul able to do all of this? And the answer is in verse 29. For this I toil, he writes, and this is how he toils. He struggles with all his energy, not mine that he powerfully works within me. So there's a dynamic here between God and Paul, enabling Paul to do everything that he did. Now, if you want a snapshot of what Paul struggled, just skim through 2 Corinthians 11. Ah, uh, <laughs> it's just a nightmare of the stuff he suffered through. And how did he do it? He didn't just suck it up, get tough, uh, power through it. He explains that here in verse 29. I struggle with his energy. 
that he powerfully works within me. It's God's power in us, Frank. It's not us uh, marshalling our strength. So distinguish those two, and we're going to wrap up with that thought. Oh, John, that is such an important thought. There are two great enemies to the message of Christ. One is that we think we have to do our part. Even here in the church, God did his part. Now you do your part. And that's not what we're talking about. The other great enemy is the exact opposite. It is finished. God does it all. And so we now function as passive people and just sit around waiting for the opportunity for the second coming. Uh, <laughs> both of those are wrong. Uh, his work is done. We mentioned this, I think, earlier in the last podcast. Ours is not. His work is done. We're complete. We're righteous. We're sealed. We're accepted. We're loved. Nothing can be added to his work. But now we work. We work out our salvation. We labor. I love the way Paul put it according to his power, but it's working in me mightily. And so this is the great tension of the New Testament. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I labored more than any other apostle. And yet he quickly adds, yet it was not me. It was Christ in me. So we don't want to run on our own battery power. Neither do we want to sit like a bump on a log waiting for his power to show up. We tap into his power by faith. We exercise our will. We step out. We work knowing that he is working in us. And this is the great truth of the New Testament. I, again, unfortunately, the church is very confused about this. I'm going to be a little facetious, but I hope it proves the point. You know, very often someone will sing a song in church, a solo and someone will walk up to them and say, boy, that was a beautiful song. And the person will say, oh, that wasn't me. It was Christ. Well, I could have sworn I saw them standing up on that platform and moving their lips. It was them, John. They had to make the choice. They had to practice. They had to, to get up on that platform. They had to use their vocal cords. What that person should say is, thank you. I am glad that Christ in me ministered to you as I sang that song. This is exactly what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified. I no longer live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. But here comes the key next phrase. And the life I live. See, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It is a cooperation. Like 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, I am in union with him. And he wants to express his life through my life as I live by faith. This is the new covenant. Oh, wow. Amen and amen. Frank, listen to you talk. My mind runs to Isaiah chapter 40. You know the verse. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Okay, we know 
how many people interpret that, but here's what it really means, my friend. That word weight means to bind together by twisting. So imagine a rope braided together. That's the picture. It's not sitting there twiddling your thumbs, as you said. It's intimately wrapping and binding and twisting with our Father. That's the picture. And then when we choose to do that, the Lord responds. And he says he renews our strength. That doesn't mean recharge or replenish, sort of like you're playing a video game and, you're, and your guy dies, so you get more life. No, he doesn't replenish our life. He gives us something better. It's a new life. He exchanges our life for his. He gives us a substitute life so that it's better, something we've never had before. And it's that strength and that strength alone that enables us to mount up with wings like eagles and run and not mm -hmm. be weary and walk and not faint and, and endure suffering and trials and pain and rejoice all the same time. That's the power that Paul has been talking about in this first chapter. It comes from an mm -hmm. intimate binding with our Savior, and then he swaps out our puny strength for his inexhaustible strength. Wow. Cool stuff, man. That is. I know, John, you always ask for my final thoughts, so maybe I can just do that now. Sure. Um, we have a dear friend, you know, uh, you knew him too, Juan Carlos Ortiz, who earlier this year uh, left this world to be face-to-face -face with his beloved Jesus, but he had a way of saying things where he took such profound truth and made it so simple. He said that Christian life is a lot like driving a car. We have a part to play. The car has a part to play. He said, my part is to turn the key. Where, 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 where. The car's part is to go vroom and provide the power. And he said, that is exactly what the Christian life is like. My part is to provide the were, 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 the faith. And that faith instantly engages us with the vroom of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, providing the power to live supernaturally in this fallen world. Hmm. A neat way to put it, John. Indeed it is. <laughs> well, friends, you've been listening to us on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We've been chatting our way through the epistle to the Colossians. Uh, and friends, if Father has ministered at all to you today, please do us the honor of visiting our website. Check out what we have there. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. There are lots of books available, eBooks that are for free, newsletters, devotional thoughts, a lot of stuff there, all centered on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior and our very life. And while you're there, uh, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, and check out our YouTube channel. Uh, like and subscribe. And of course, wherever you hear your favorite podcast, you can hear us. And friends, once again, we ask you to prayerfully consider supporting our Resolute Hope, not only with your prayers for the ministry, but for your personal finances. We cherish every single one of you. You are dear to us. We pray for you routinely, and we are honored uh, to have you as a partner. And as we together herald the greatest news ever, Christ is our life. And as always, we close with the same old reminder from Hebrews chapter six, because it never gets old. 
that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. It's stable. It's steadfast. It's never going to shift. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.